Turn your Bibles to the 19th Psalm. 19th Psalm is found on page 538 in the Bible provided for you in the pew. In January, we focus on vision and values. It's the month where some are focused on New Year's resolutions, and we focus on re-examination and realignment with the vision that God has called us to as a church and the values that he's given us to fulfill that vision. Think of vision as the destination that we are called to journey upon. And our values are like tracks, railroads, or roadways that guide us. Our vision commending the greatness of God and Jesus Christ to all peoples and all generations. And then our values, we have four today. We are focusing on declaring God's glory. Next week, delighting in God's grace. The following week, developing authentic relationships. And then the fourth week, discipling all nations. Those are our pathways to fulfill our vision. Psalm 19 here begins in verse 1 with a God-centered view and ends in an aspiration in verse 14. That's actually going to be our memory verses. Each week we're going to have an assignment and we're going to memorize, not in the service, but we're going to ask you to join us and we'll repeat these on Sunday nights. But we're going to memorize a verse with each of our values. This uh, week's verse is verse 1 and verse 14. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring or reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are tr uh, is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules or testimonies of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They are more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults, O Lord. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of God. Thanks be to you, O God. Pray with me now. We ask you, Lord, to open our eyes that we might see wonderful truths in your word, but see the beauty of the salvation that's been brought down to us in the living word, Jesus Christ. And today, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ personally or have assurance of salvation, we pray that today would be the day of salvation. This we pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. David, in this psalm, 
proclaims the aim of my life and the longing of my heart is to glorify God. David says, I'm your servant and I live and long to glorify you. You see him as the living one. David is awakened to a spiritual reality that he is called to be God's servant and also not only to live as alive, but he's called as one who has access to God. He's not distant, but God, the creator, is Yahweh, the Savior who's come down to him. And he is living with assurance. He says, this God is my rock. He is my redeemer. I'll ask you this morning, what is your longing for your life? What is your aim in 2023? Would you say that my aspiration is to glorify God, to live alive in him more in 2023 than I did in 2022? To live as if I truly have access to God, to not only the throne of God, but the very words of God. And to live assured that you belong to him. That's what it means to glorify God. We'll look, and the text will help us understand what glory means. Secondly, how God reveals his glory. And then thirdly, how do we glorify God? First, what is the meaning of the word glory? The word glory is used over 199 times in the Old Testament describing God himself. It means beauty, value, importance, weightiness. I often say that it's best described as God's glory is his otherness, his godness. And yet it also carries a reality of visible or revealed splendor, God's reputation that is being unfolded and is revealing his splendor. Now those words often are hard to grasp as well, glorious, splendor, majesty. What does that actually mean? It is difficult to understand the glory of God and for the most part, we only understand the glory of God in negative terms because of our finiteness. Think of the triad of attributes of God, the omnipotence of God, the omniscience of God, and the omnipresence of God. These attributes speak of God's unlimited power, but we can only understand omnipotence as finite people as saying his power has no limits, or his omniscience, he is all-knowing. We can only understand it not in fullness, but as he has no limits to his knowledge, or his omnipresence, there's no where or place where God is not present. Isaiah 55 describes God this way. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. As high as the earth, the heaven it is above the earth, so my ways are above your ways and so my thoughts are above your thoughts. God's otherness or his godness is his reputation that's expressed in his being and his purposes. You see, we can comprehend God because he has chosen to be 
self-revelatory. He reveals his glory, expressing his being, as well as his purposes. The psalmist uses the example of the sun. The sun's heat and the sun's light radiates. It's true that the solar system could not exist without the sun as the center controlling power in the solar system. There would be no life without the heat and the light and the control of all the bodies in the solar system. But what radiates from the sun is not the sun. It's the expression of his being and his purposes or the expression of the being purposes of the sun. That is God's glory. It's the expression, what we know he is the source of all life, all light, all heat, all control. So God's son, he is the son who reveals God. What do we mean how to describe who God is in his being and purposes? Well, there's a paragraph in the Westminster Confession I'm going to read to you. This gives you a grasp of how we can understand the glory of God. There is but one only and living and true God. He is infinite in his being and perfection, most powerful and pure in his spirit, invisible, without body parts or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty. That's the first sentence. And for his own glory, he reveals his most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness, truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, rewarding those who seek him. And that's just the second sentence. He's terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. How can we comprehend this incomprehensible God? Isaiah 48 God says of himself, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's no one like me declaring the end from the beginning and things from ancient times to present saying, I will accomplish all my good pleasure. The glory of God is his reputation expressed in his being and his purposes. Well, how, do, how does God reveal his glory? The text tells us that God reveals his glory, verses 1 through 6, in his creation and then in verses 7 through 10, God reveals his glory in the scriptures, the holy scriptures. And then verses 11 through 14, we see how David says, through humanity, God reveals his glory. And we'll see that as we move through the text. First, God reveals his glory through creation. Now, verses 1 through 6 say that God has created the universe and the universe exists to glorify him, and the universe is speaking. The universe is speaking speechless speech, wordless speech. The sound is clear, the image is formed in our minds, but it says they have no speech, they use no words, but there is understanding. Romans 1, the Apostle Paul says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal attributes, his power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen and are understood in terms of what has been made so that men with, are without excuse. 
So we suppress the truth, but the reality is we see both in the created order and the heavenly and earthly order and in humanity, we see that God is sending a message and that is his glory. I imagine David, as Pastor Barrett mentioned, sat out at night protecting those little lambs as a shepherd boy. And he did look at the stars and he looked at the order of the universe. And in that quietness, I'm sure he felt two things. He felt very small, but he felt very safe because he wasn't in control of all things. He knew because there was control, there was a controller. Because there was design, there is a designer. I would imagine that he looked at the grass that was growing, the plants and the trees that were producing fruit, and creation was speaking to him. He saw provision. What provision? There must be a provider. He watched these animals give birth and care and nurture their little ones, and creation was speaking. He saw nurture and he heard, there must be a nurturer. He saw provision, he saw nurture. And then those little lambs, when they were injured, he would bandage them up and their little bodies would heal and he would listen to the creation and the creation would speak, there's healing. There must be a healer. There's a provider, there's a nurturer, there's a healer, there's a designer. There's a controller of all things. Creation speaks. I heard the testimony of Dr. Francis Collins. He's the director of the National Institutes of Health and had headed up the Human Genome Project several years ago. But he chronicles his conversion in the book that he wrote, The Language of God. When he was a medical student, he was in a room with a doctor. He was assisting a doctor and the patient was told by the doctor that she would not recover from the illness. The patient began to talk to first the doctor and said, what hope do you offer those who are facing death? Do you have a faith? Do you have an answer to tell me since I'm facing death? What shocked him was then that patient turned to him and asked Francis Collins, do you have a word? Do you have an answer? to give me hope today. He stammered and stumbled about, we all hope that it's better on the other side, but when he walked out, he felt so humiliated. In fact, that encounter was an encounter that he could not stop thinking about in his last year of medical school. So he went to a friend who was a medical student that he perceived as religious, and he said, how do you find answers? I'm a scientist. I've never even given any effort to investigate faith or the Bible. His friend introduced him to his pastor, and his pastor told Francis Collins, well, one, you should read the Bible, but you should also read stories of atheists who have placed their faith in Christ and what were the assurances that they gained. He gave him a little book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. During that next year, Francis Collins read the Bible, and he read Mere Christianity. And he took a trip, a hiking trip by himself 
in the Cascade Mountains in British Columbia, and he said, I'm going to settle it. I'm going to decide what I believe. I cannot continue to live in this ambiguity. And one morning, he got up, and he was on the hike, and he turned on the trail, and he saw this beautiful waterfall that had been frozen. And he saw that waterfall, and he fell to his knees, and he said, you are the creator. The heavens are telling the glory of God. I want to serve you the way that the creation serves you. At that moment, he opened up Psalm 19, and he read, the heavens are declaring the glories of God. So God speaks and reveals his glory first through his creation, but he also reveals his reputation through the word of God. Verses 7 through 10 say what God's word is and what God's word does. There are four nouns, four adjectives, and uh, four verbs found in describing God's law. And the four nouns are law, testimony, precepts and commandments and decrees, depending on your translations. And then the adjectives, perfect, sure, right, pure, clean and true. And then the verbs, they're really verb sentences, reviving, making wise, giving joy to the heart, enlightening the eyes, and producing endurance. What God's word is, says the psalmist, is it's his law. That word is not just speaking of the Ten Commandments. It's speaking of God's comprehensive will that is revealed to us throughout all of the scriptures. It's his testimony. It's his promises made to us and promises kept for us. That's the testimony of the Lord. He's a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. Precepts and commandments speak of the precision of his authority, which brings us wisdom. And then the, the decrees speak of his directive will and his judgments. And the psalmist says they're perfect. They're sure. They're right. They're clean and they're true. But he also says they're for us. God gives his word to revive or convert or strengthen the soul. God gives his word to make wise of the simple. He gives his word to give and bring joy to our hearts, to enlighten our eyes, and to produce endurance when we don't believe we have strength to go on. How else does God reveal his glory? Well, it's clear in verses 11 through 14. David doesn't say, I can reveal your glory. We read in Psalm 8 that it is a son of man. But it's not Adam. It's not a son of Adam. It's a second Adam. In fact, in Psalm 8, the book of Hebrews tells us that that second Adam is Jesus Christ. He's the one that has been made a little lower than the angels, that he might bring us up. In fact, if you study the Gospel of John that we talked about that will be our Bible study focus this year, you will see that threaded through the Gospel of John is the theme, God's glory revealed in Jesus Christ. Glory is the theme of the Gospel of John. Glory is the theme of the Bible. And who reveals God 
to humanity, Jesus Christ. If you read John chapter 1, it speaks of the creation and the redemptive work of the Word made flesh. It says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld what? His glory, glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 1 speaks that God long ago used to speak through the prophets in many portions and in many ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he made, heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And he, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Godhead on high. You see, glory is central to salvation. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, we're told that God gave Jesus the name which is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue should confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'll ask you this morning, have you met Jesus Christ, the one who reveals God's glory? Emile Calais is a Frenchman. He fought in World War I. He was injured, thought he was going to die, but an American soldier saved his life and took him to an army hospital. Later, after he recovered, he reflected on his time in the trenches. And when he thought that he was dying, he had this thought, if I could only find a book, if I could find a book that would help me make sense out of me, it would help me understand me. He said, if I uh, survive this, I'm gonna write a book. I'm gonna write a book that helps me understand me. And I'm gonna write a book that helps other people understand themselves. He finished his studies in philosophy and psychology. Eventually he became a professor moved to the United States. He was so thankful for the American soldier that saved his life, became a professor at Princeton. All day when he had free time, he would write down thoughts that he had or sayings that he heard. I'm gonna write a book that helps me understand me. He got to the point where he thought he was ready to say it's completed. And he told his wife, I'm going off today. I'm gonna read this book, this book that I have spent years preparing. So he went off to read the book. He read it from cover to cover and he just wept and he wept and he wept because he realized that he had no capacity to even describe what he longed for, what he felt, and all the emotions of his heart. When he went home dejected, he told his wife, I can't find a book that understands me. She said, interesting thing happened to me today. She was walking by a French Huguenot church. They were giving out Bibles in French. She said, they said, lady, would you like one of these Bibles? She brought it home and she gave it to him. It fell open to the Beatitudes, it caught his eye and he began to read and he read, he read and he read, he read the Gospels, he read the Psalms, he read Psalm 19. And then when he bowed his knee, 
confessing his faith in Jesus Christ, he said, I have found a book that understands me. I found a book that will speak to my heart. That's what you see with David here. David is not reading the Bible. In verses 11 through 14, the Bible is reading David. And David says, this is how you glorify God. You'll see it in verses 11 through 14. There's three ways. One, you live as those who have been awakened and are alive to God. He says there, may you warn me and may you reward me for I am your servant. He says in verse 11, by these words, your servant is warning, keeping them, there is great reward. David says, I can glorify God because I live as one who has been made alive. It's interesting in Ephesians, when Paul talks about Christians believing false teaching, he says, awake, O sleepy one who slumbers, who lives as if he is still dead. Find your salvation once again, for you are alive. They were believing false teaching. It's almost as if Lazarus, after he'd been called out of the tomb, can you imagine him going back that night, lying down in the tomb, wrapping himself with the cloths? He is alive, and he's to live as one who sees the unseen world of the work of the Spirit, and he's alive to say, warn me, reward me, protect me from hidden sins, for sin will keep me from you. It's interesting, Romans 12, 1 and 2, when the J.B. Phillips translation came out, it says this way, it says the, the verse translated this way, with eyes wide open to the mercies of God, present yourself a living sacrifice. If you're a believer in Christ, you've been made alive. You glorify him by living as if you're alive. But you also glorify him by living as one who has access to God. He says, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. I speak words to you. I hear words from you in prayer and in the word. For I live my life as one who has access to you. When I feel worried, I have access to you. When I feel confused, I have access to you. When I feel unmotivated or distant, you are not far away. Have you noticed that when you feel distant from God, that is God's Holy Spirit telling you, think of me. When you feel coldness of heart, that is the Holy Spirit saying, draw near to me. It's a sign that you really belong to him, even recognizing your distance from God. We live as those who are alive. We live as those who have access, and we live with assurance. He says, you are my rock. You are my redeemer. He not, is not speaking of God in terms that are unfamiliar to him. He's saying that my foundation, my fortress, my strength is Yahweh. Not surprisingly that the Apostle Paul would say, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's not surprising that Jesus would say, let your light shine among men so they might see your good works and give glory to God. It's not surprising at all that Paul would say, 
I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know and fellowship with him in his sufferings. Is that your desire this morning as you begin 2023? I want to glorify him. I want to know him. I want to experience his nearness. This table, this table speaks to us. It's a message to us. He has come near and we can live as those who are alive. We can live with those who have access to the very throne of heaven. We can live assured because Jesus has done what we could never do, which is secure our place with God. If you're here this morning and you don't have that assurance, not only would I ask you to pray, turning from yourself and trusting Christ, but ask God to change your life. If you're here and you lack desire for God, I challenge you to pray, God, change my heart. God, give me a heart that would long to glorify you. And anyone who is struggling and battling with guilt or besetting sins, let this table be the reminder to you that Jesus has made you alive and you have access. One story before we close. Harry Ironside was a street evangelist in the early 1900s. He eventually became the pastor of Moody Bible Church, but in San Francisco, he would join the Salvation Army in street preaching, and he would gather crowds. He was a very effective evangelist. One day, a man came up to him and gave him a note. The note said, I'm an atheist, and I don't believe anything that you're saying, and I will challenge you to a debate. Meet me at the science hall tomorrow if you have the courage. Ironside continued to preach the sermon, but after the sermon and after counseling with people who made professions of faith, he found that man. He went and found him. He said, I'll agree to your challenge under one condition. My condition is this. You will bring two people with you, and you will bring one. I'd like it to be a male or female, but two people with you. Bring one person who has been a down and outer, who has... Their life has fallen apart. They've lived in poverty. They've stolen and cheated others, even their own families. They've been caught in addictions. They've found themselves with no hope and despair in this life. And then someone gave them a message, the message of atheism, how atheism had converted them and changed their life and given them new hope and how that's brought respect and dignity and care for themselves and for others and how they are serving others because of the powerful message of atheism. Second person I would like you to bring, bring a person who has always had everything that they longed for. They've had the money, they've had the opportunities and the privilege, they've been able to do whatever they wanted to do and living in a life of luxury. But how when they heard the message of atheism, they realized that life was not about material things, but how they could bless others and take care of the poor and give their life in service to the community. How the power of atheism has changed their life. Bring those two people. I will bring a hundred at least people who have heard the message of the gospel and their longing is to glorify God and their longing is to speak of how he brings hope. 
Well, not surprising, Ironside showed up with his hundred members of the Salvation Army and the man was nowhere to be found. There is only one message that brings healing and hope and is worth you giving your life. Glorify the Lord together with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let's pray together. Father, we are people who need to be reminded at the beginning of the year that you've given us a mission, and that is to declare your glory. But you've also given us new hearts. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live alive today. I pray also, Father, that we would live as those who have access and with assurance. And anyone that doesn't have this assurance, I pray today would be the day of salvation. Strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.